on 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and joining me uh, from the States is El Fadi. He's uh, a wonderful story of, uh, I saw one article which said, I was willing to die for Allah, but now I live for Jesus. And we're going to dig a bit more into that story as well right now. El, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you uh, uh, for inviting me, and I'm really honored and uh, privileged, you know, that you took the time to read the article and to even reach out to me. Well, it's wonderful to chat to you, and we're going to hear a bit of your story, and uh, we want to just really catch this by saying we understand that a whole lot of people listen to this radio station from different faith beliefs, and we're going to talk about uh, a couple of different faith beliefs, and you're you're um, moving from one way of looking at life uh, and one way of looking at faith to a, a different perspective today. And so this is the journey we're going to be uh, going on. Let's go all the way back to the start. Where were you born and, and, and what was family upbringing like for you? Yeah, I was born in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, specifically in Jeddah, uh, the West Coast by the Red Sea. And um, I mean, just to say Saudi, you know, Islam is a, at the heart of that uh, nation because uh, traditionally speaking, uh, Islam originated from there, from a small town back then known as Mecca, which is a big town or a big city today. And Mecca happened to be 45 minutes to an hour drive from Jeddah, where I live. Uh, obviously, my family was Muslim. And uh, being just in Saudi and living uh, in a Muslim family, you automatically adopt Islam and you begin to also study about Islam school. And you begin to understand really certain things that I call them the finalities of Islam or the psychology of Islam. What I mean by that is Islam teaches you it's the final religion sent to mankind with a final messenger through a message, I should say, through the final messenger. So in other words, as a Muslim, someone who follows Islam, while you may acknowledge religions like Christianity or Judaism or even other world religion, you're not really interested in following any of them. But at the same time, you are convinced that you're following the latest and the greatest, if you wish. So that was my upbringing. And in terms of that environment, because, you know, I think here in Australia, especially, right, we, there's some people who I think really do understand and uh, the, the history and the, the depth of what occurs for somebody who is uh, following the Islamic faith. Others perhaps only hear the news stories as it goes through. What did it mean for you on a daily basis uh, to be here in, in Saudi Arabia, to be living amongst a family that was uh, following this faith very you know, wholeheartedly? What was life like on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of that? Yeah, you, you are going to meet a lot of Muslims from all back, kind of backgrounds and also from all kinds of affiliations or uh, submissive levels, if you wish. Uh, there are the nominal, cultural, wonderful Muslims that you're going to meet, and maybe some of them will even acknowledge, by the way, that I don't pray all the time, I don't fast all the time, but they tend to do their best to follow certain celebrations or festivals or things of that nature. I wasn't that way. I was a very religious person myself. Now, my family wasn't also a very religious, but because of my schooling, because of my connections with a lot of my friends, who were, you know, the, the, the news called them fundamentalists. I really call them true followers of Islam. Islam is a religion of works, as you know, and you need to do good deeds to accumulate, uh, uh, basically, good deeds to help you on Judgment Day. 
So I was kind of like more of the by the book kind of a Muslim. And the more I studied the book, the more I studied the hadith or the sayings of the prophet, the more I studied the history of Islam, the more fundamentalist I became, the more rigid I became. So, so it took a, a while, but by my teen years, when I was a teenager, that's when I began to show signs of, uh, uh, you know, fundamentalism, if you wish, meaning wanted to do things according to the teaching so that I can ensure at least that I am pleasing Allah, I am earning the good deeds that would be of help to me. And when you're talking about these sorts of deeds, uh, are we talking about daily practices? Are we talking about um, perhaps more some of the things we we hear in the news a bit more about sort of more radical aspects of it? What, what was it? What were you yeah. meaning by that? Excellent question. You know, for me, it meant uh, not only just doing the five daily prayers and oftentimes try my best to even do them in the mosque as much as possible, but also fasting, not just in Ramadan, but even beyond Ramadan, praying not only the five prayers, but even extra prayers that the prophet encouraged people to pray. And then you get into doing more and more of deeds and tithing, or you can call it almsgiving and, and the, you know, other voluntary givings and so on and so forth. And, and then, uh, you know, memorizing the Quran. And all. that was for me. But, but for the normal Muslim who is, let's call him religious, but not fundamentalist or radical in their faith, technically, and I, I'm not using radical in a negative way here, um, uh, they, they're the one that will do their best to pray the five daily prayers and fast Ramadan and maybe perform the pilgrimage once in the lifetime. In my case, I wasn't doing just the pilgrimage. I did the minor one called the Umrah where you can go anytime, any day of, of the year, to be honest, to, to do it, except during the, let's say, the pilgrimage itself, which is in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar. So, so that was me. That's what I mean by that. It's doing all of these things almost on a daily basis. What was that um, doing to your spirit, I suppose? Uh, as you went and did this, was this something that you felt um, a greater connection to your purpose and, and who you are? Was it um, a, a sense of um, you felt like, hey, you know what, I, this is the life that I desire myself? Or was it a bit more out of that understanding that, you know, okay, well, I'm going to choose this now, but I'm just all in on it. Um, I suppose I, I'm trying to understand what was that doing to you inside as you did this? That, uh, again, uh, a great question. I, I mean, I, I want to be frank, Muslims never ever, and I want to be fair to them, question their faith unless they begin to get exposure to or to let's say in this case the gospel or something else out there and maybe they, they wanted to just out of curiosity to learn about it and you know muslims in general they're satisfied the fact that they're born muslims they follow islam and they do the best they can uh, you know as much as they can to please allah in my case obviously i i had my access to the primary sources i had my access to uh, things that the prophet encouraged uh, people to do so islam because it's a, it's a work-based religion it's kind of like you self-impose things on yourself. So when you do things, you feel satisfied. You, you begin to kind of like self-impose peace or inner peace. You know, you begin to feel like, oh, God must be very happy with me that I'm doing all of that. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to call it a, a, uh, a, a fake, uh, you know, sense of peace. But it, in, in your case, when you're a Muslim, you don't think of it this way. You think back, you're doing your duties. Allah must be happy with you. That gives you a sense of satisfaction. So that's how my spirit was reacting to those things. On the other hand, if you miss a prayer or if you don't fast for some reason or you feel like you're slacking off, 
you begin to feel disturbed because, again, it's uh, the idea of accumulating good deeds and, and you feel like you're in control of that and somehow you're guilty for not really doing your due to, uh, you know, uh, uh, your to-do list of things. And, and that's pretty much the rustle that you have uh, as a Muslim who wants to be by the book Muslim, but at the same time, sometimes temptation get in the way or other uh, aspects of life uh, can interrupt that. Now, you said that um, you were perhaps somebody who was within your family even more dedicated to those daily understandings of living out uh, an Islamic faith. Um, how did your uh, family and, and your parents, I suppose, take to uh, the way you were living? You know, um, in general, of course, families, uh, Muslim families, they feel proud uh, when their children are uh, really fulfilling the mandates of Islam and they're following things uh, that they're required to do. But, you know, from time to time, when they see you become more of a, let, let, let me use the image of Pharisee, you become a Pharisaic Muslim, you begin to demand of them to do things or uh, your sisters to wear the hijab or, or you start uh, critiquing others, uh, friends or things like that, you know, you can sense that they're really resisting all that or maybe they begin to tell you that, you know, you're going too far or you're even going beyond what is expected. Uh, so, so that was the reaction in my teen years when they began to notice how I am clamping on to uh, the teachings verbatim, uh, you know, kind of like a literal interpretation of things. And really, it culminated when uh, I began to explore the idea of even jihad and martyrdom. That was back in 1979 when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan. And as you, um, you know, uh, your audience will recall, uh, you know, at least those who uh, lived through that, that uh, there were a lot of people uh, from the Islamic countries that really flocked to Afghanistan and formed the bond. Uh, or the band of brothers, if you wish, uh, Mujahideen, fighters for God. Among them was Osama bin Laden, whom I was familiar with his family. Some of his cousins were my friends at school. And that kind of gave me the idea of like, wow, one of our own actually is there. What if I join him? Now, back then, uh, believe it or not, like the, the uh, many Islamic countries did not view this action, meaning to go and fight the Soviets as an act of terrorism. In fact, they supported some of these efforts. They donated to these efforts because they felt like it was defending one member of the body of the community of Islam. It wasn't until later, of course, that, uh, you know, unfortunately, part of that group emerged in what we call today Al-Qaeda. Yeah. So uh, it, it was during that time when my mother began to sense that how extreme I was becoming in my thoughts and ideas. And of course, she forbade me from going that far or doing things like this. Now, Many times people will argue, well, does that mean your mother wasn't a good Muslim? Not at all. I mean, it's, uh, the idea is a mother uh, feels for her son or child. She doesn't want any harm to happen to them. And she didn't think that I should be doing this because others are doing it already. And that's true. Islam doesn't mandate every single person to have to go and fight. So, so that's, that's really how, how it culminated, basically. We're going to pick this story up right here in just a couple of minutes' time with Al Fadi, who, as we've said, this article is summarizing sort of where we can see right now. I wanted to die for Allah. We just heard that, but now I live for Jesus. So there is a change coming in our story that we're going to hear in a couple of minutes' time. We're going to be picking that up next here on 89.9 The Light. You're in conversation with Clayton and having a chat to Al Fadi from America at the moment, but we've been hearing his story of a, a man who was brought up in a Muslim family, very dedicated to the Islamic faith, 
We're going to hear the story of how he's uh, now a Christian and actually uh, speaking into the lives of other Muslims about an understanding of something uh, around the Christian faith. So we're going to get to that part of the story as well. And uh, we picked up, or we left the story, I should say, Al, just a couple of minutes ago, uh, where you were quite extreme in your thoughts, at least, of maybe uh, should I be a part of a jihad? Maybe should I head to Afghanistan and possibly even martyrdom? And your, your mum said, look, I don't think that's the best way to, to go at the moment. Um, but eventually you did leave Saudi Arabia, and that ended up being for America. That was for study, right? That is true. Uh, the reason why I left Saudi is like after I graduated from college, I had this opportunity to um, go to the U.S. or the Amer- America, I should say, to earn my master's in engineering. And uh, that was the first time I've uh, been to America. And even in my mind, the first time going to a Christian nation, if you wish. What was the um, emotions like as you went on that journey? Um I would imagine, you know, when we head to any country, it doesn't matter how much we know about it, it always feels a little bit um, scary or different. And I'd imagine, especially as you, you said there too, uh, the first time to a Christian country uh, would have had a lot of emotions running for you. That is true. And now uh, Islam teaches us that Christianity is a thing of the past. Uh, and uh, in fact, Islam also teaches that uh, Christians, for whatever reason, after the uh, ascension of Christ, Obviously, Islam never teaches that Jesus was crucified and died on the cross, except for the Ahmadiyya branch of Islam. They believe he was crucified, but did not die. Uh, Aside from that, Jesus was rescued, ascended to heaven. Uh, That's what the Quran teaches. And uh, obviously, it teaches you that Islam came to correct many of the uh, uh, misinformation that are being spread uh, by the likes of the Apostle Paul and others that Jesus died for your sin, that he is the son of God, that God appeared in the flesh, and all that kind of stuff. So, And I've never, ever heard of the born-again believers, to be honest. Never heard of that concept at all, or that doctrine, if you wish, the second birth. And um, obviously, going to the U.S., there were mixed emotions. First, missing the family, that's the first emotion. The second emotion is that I need to live a good Islamic life now that I'm in the midst of infidels. I'm sorry to use that term. Uh, and... Uh, at the same time, trying to fight temptations at a higher level. But all that to say is that my understanding of the Islamic, uh, of the American culture uh, was based on the Hollywood movies. And I'm sorry <laughs> to, uh, to paint that picture. Hollywood movies do not glorify the American uh, culture. They don't present it to you as godly people, if you know what I mean. Yep, yep. And uh, you go there. And I have to say, a lot of the people that I met didn't disappoint me also. They made it look exactly like I was living a Hollywood movie. Yeah. So so you land in America. Okay, this is all the aims of what it was that you were going to try to live. And, and some of those things were proven to you as you, as you landed, as you just mentioned. What was the journey like then as you started getting to know people? I'm assuming at some point you must have... Uh, bumped into people who were Christians and had conversations uh, because of where you are uh, today. Can you take us through that? Yes, sir. Uh, well, it was within the first 30 days, actually. Uh, I, you see, I've been studying English uh, back home in Saudi for mostly all of my life. And then uh, the last few years, uh, when I was in junior high and high school and even college, I, I began to even go to the uh, English consulate in Jeddah. 
And during my college years, I studied English. So I thought I knew English very well, except in America, outside the classroom, people speak Americanese, which is a whole different language. Uh-huh. And they begin to use idioms and they say, what's up? And you start looking up. I mean, I take it literally. It's like, what yes. is up? You know, <laughs> why is everybody asking me about something that is up, you know? And, and, and then they start to ask, uh, you know, use phrases like, how is it going? And, and what scared me is when they said, we want to pick your brain and pull your leg. That's when I said, that's it. We're done with it. I'm going to have to go and figure out now what is going on. <laughs> oh, I so that. I went to my teacher and I told her about what was going on. She laughed. And I said, you see, everybody laughs when I make these comments. And she said, no, no, we call them idioms. And those are conversational only. And you need to build a relationship with an American person or family and I told her honestly I don't know anybody and she said why don't you just approach people I said I don't know I'm not so sure that I have that courage to do that so she came up with a solution she said you know the international student office in college will help you with that just go tell them I need conversational partners they will ask you to fill out a form and they will do their best to match you with another profile of an American person who wants to meet someone like you and they will notify you And that was exactly the case. Within two to three weeks, I received a letter from them. And in the letter, they identified a couple. And they told me about their names, their age, their address, how many kids they have, their phone number, everything. You know, And uh, they said to expect a call from them. And uh, still, they didn't didn't tell me these are born-again believers. Uh, Turned out that they were born-again believers when I met them. And I began to notice a difference in their attitude, uh, behavior relationship with me and each other versus the others that I was dealing with. Now, I'm not saying the others were nasty or inappropriately uh, relating to each other, but the phrases they use or the comments they use, you can tell there's a big difference between the two. And that was the beginning of my inquisitive uh, desire to learn more about this couple. And that led into conversations, spiritual conversations. They invited me to a, a, you know, basically a traditional holiday called Thanksgiving. And I met their family. I met their neighbors. I met their church friends. And they were all the same. That was very confusing to me. It's like, who are these people? Why are they this way compared to the others? And uh, that was, uh, you can say that the seed was planted for the first time when I started to hear from them about their journey to Christ, their testimonies. and uh, comparing, contrasting their past versus their present, and so on and so forth. I, I, I'm thinking, and I, I understand that there's a number of people who listen even to this radio station who um, would uh, say they're part of the Islamic faith right now. And I, I'd imagine a question might be, why Why did you not just sort of run away when you started hearing that? What, what was it that was uh, kept you as part of those conversations and a part of that world um, as you started a- in there? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fair question. Believe it or not, I had an agenda. My agenda was to convert people to Islam. And uh, what kept me going is I was intrigued about what they were saying. And I wanted to learn a few things that could be of help to me uh, to share about my faith in a way to help them convert. Now, I was answering questions they were asking about, what do you believe in? And when it comes to Christianity, what is Christianity like to you? And what about the Bible? What about Jesus? And obviously, I was trying to be really polite, not to hurt their feelings, but uh, at the same time, blunt enough to share with them what I believed in. And it appeared to me that they were shocked sometimes to hear me say things about the cross, for instance, or who Jesus was. But it wasn't until I moved from that particular campus, I stayed there for one year, where I met this couple, 
to another campus to uh, expand my degree a little bit. And uh, I severed my relationship with them, not because of anything they did, but because I just felt that, okay, I'm moving on with my life. And I began to learn more about the culture, about the freedom of religion. And then I engaged with another couple similar to that one. And uh, we start to get deeper into the conversations. And I began to show my motive to them that I want them to convert. And that's when we really took the argument to a next level. And they began to challenge me to prove any of my claims and accusations. And it was at that time that my faith began to shake. And was that because you, so, well, let me rather than assume it, why, why was it that it started to shake then? What, what was the reasons that it did? Because I discovered so quickly that the evidence that I'm using cannot mount against the evidence they're using. Here's an example. I told them Jesus wasn't crucified, and I even presented the passage for them from the Quran, and that was in chapter 4, verse 157, slash 158, if you want to add it in context. But they looked at me like, I, I don't know where you're living. It's almost like it felt like that you're living under a, you know, a rock or somewhere. But look at all of the evidence, historical, biblical, archaeological, and the list went on and on and on. So I could not really refute it in a way that is convincing. Then I attacked the Bible at some point, and I told them the Bible has been corrupted. That was a shocker also for them. And they even challenged me to show them which parts were they co corrupted. What manuscript evidence? That's where I started to look into these evidence, the manuscripts and stuff like that. And, and to be honest, I, I started to feel like, okay, well, I'm making claims. And I thought the Quran was telling me these things. But in fact, when it comes to the corruption of the Bible, I would argue you cannot find anything that says the Bible as a book, as a book, as a whole, is corrupt. It talks about a group of people, a party of Christians or Jews that attempted to corrupt things most of the time in an oral format. But, you know, you begin to reason, people began to reason with me. It's like, well, where does it say that the book is corrupt? So things like this, Leighton, that put me in a corner. And, and I began to realize either I did not study these things correctly or I wasn't a good Muslim to understand how to defend Islam. Or maybe there is another story that I'm not really privy to know yet. And that's what, how it went. We're going to pick up that part of the story next with El Fadi. We're having a chat to him from the States uh, today, and we're looking forward to hearing that next part, including now the work that he does amongst Muslims himself. That's on the way next here in, on 89.9 The Light. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton, and it's just a joy to have a chat uh, from the United States today with El Fadi. Uh, we originally got in touch with L because we read a fascinating article that he uh, he wrote about, and this is the headline, I wanted to die for Allah, but now I live for Jesus. And we've been hearing some of that story up until now. And we, when we left just a couple of moments ago, uh, it was in this moment where you were starting to have, so I suppose, a, 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 you know, a, a crisis within yourself of uh, trying to understand as a number of Christians were talking to you and providing proof uh, around the Bible and the teachings that were occurring there that you had to start working through, okay, what what is my faith actual journey? So could you take us through what happened that led you from saying, okay, I, I am going to leave Islam behind and, and pick up Christianity? Could you talk us through that? 
Absolutely. I mean, I have to say at the beginning, I wasn't really thinking about leaving Islam. I was disturbed by the fact that I wasn't able to defend uh, Islam or to prove my point to them. Now, I want to be fair, and I think many of your audience who are even Muslim can resonate with this. When a Muslim wants you to convert to Islam, they're not doing it because of anything nefarious. They, they love you. They care for you. They want you to accept Islam because in their mind, they think this is it. This is the final journey to heaven. And that was my motive. I like these families that I was dealing with. I wanted them to have a chance to become Muslim so that they can have a chance to enter into heaven. And, uh, and, and the more I tried to argue my case, the more I felt a failure, uh, to be exact. Back then, by the way, there was no YouTube, no Google, none of that. But at the same time, if I was living through this today, I think it would have been even doubly devastating because YouTube is filled with these debates and arguments of reputations, which even strengthens the side of Christianity over the side of Islam. All that to say is that I began slowly and gradually to think maybe I am not really yet a good Muslim as I thought I was. But then my father passed away. And the passing of my father in the late 90s uh, kind of like uh, left a, a, a gab, uh, you know, a hole in my heart. And I, at the same time, coupled with these doubts now about my journey as a Muslim, and then hearing a lot of arguments about why Jesus is needed in my life, all of that, you know, I transformed from a fundamentalist, radical type of a Muslim to uh, more of a cultural nominal and pretty soon agnostic, if you wish. And I spent about a year and a half that way. Uh, late 90s and in 2000 to 2001. And then finally, I agreed to go to church for the first time in the summer of 2001. Again, my motive was to convert people to Islam. I said, maybe going to church will help me to uh, sharpen my tools, uh, listen to what they preach and teach, and use that against them. And, uh, you know, that was probably the tipping point to my journey to Christ, to be exact, because when I started to go, I began to weekly hear the same gospel that was preached to me many times or shared with me, except this time from the pulpit. And then September 11 happened. And I was so terrified of the idea of going to church that Sunday, simply because everybody knew I was a Muslim. Many people knew I was from Saudi. 15 out of the 19 hijackers were from Saudi. All of the hijackers were Muslims. And I felt like they have every right to be upset with me if I go there. It's almost like I'm rubbing it in their face. And yet I was disturbed by what happened. But it's almost like God, uh, you know, Clayton was showing me, this is what we wanted to do one day, to go and die. Let me show you how these martyrs uh, died and the devastation that they left behind. And it wasn't until I went to church that Sunday, convinced by some friends to attend, that I heard the teaching of Jesus about loving your enemy and praying for those who persecuted you. And that was the nail that sealed the coffin for me because I felt like if the God of Islam is indeed the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, then why didn't he teach me today to love my enemies as he taught the Christians before to teach their enemies? And that was the tipping point. And it took me about two more months by November of 2001, I had no choice but to decide whether to follow Jesus or to follow Islam. And really, it was a series of dreams that I had where I died. I was facing God on Judgment Day, and he was asking me one question, why did you reject my son? 
And it, it dawned on me immediately, this isn't the God of Islam who's asking this, this is the God of the Bible who's asking this. And I knew that I have to decide. And I'm so thankful that that was the case. I decided to follow Jesus. And today I am, um, I'm, I'm so honored that the Lord have chosen, uh, you know, just a wicked man like me, a wicked man like me uh, to, to enter into the kingdom and to equip me to reach the saints, to equip them to reach my people the Muslim people who need to know Christ, wonderful people. My family's still Muslim, but that doesn't mean uh, being a nice person doesn't mean that you are going to make it to heaven uh, to have a relationship with God. As that change took place, um, what was the, I'm imagining a lot of people are saying, what was the immediate impact of that? Uh, what happened in your world? We want to talk yeah. about what you're doing now as we, we finish our, our time together, but I'm wondering what your reaction of your family is. I'm wondering what what it meant um, for the immediate change in your life. Yeah, I mean, uh, th- th- that's, that's fair because, um, you know, we don't understand spiritual warfare. And, and I, I hate to say that I meet Christians sometimes that don't even understand spiritual warfare uh, at the level that uh, you're in, uh, basically. But I left Islam and the spiritual warfare began almost intensely and immediately. I didn't know that, obviously, that it's, warfare I thought God is punishing me for leaving Islam uh, the first three months were miserable I lost my I lost my marriage I almost lost the son that I had I lost my job because of the economy at September 11 and that caused me to lose my lose my income uh, I almost lost everything and then and someone looked me in the eye who's a believer born again believer and said you know I think God is preparing you for a big ministry I have to say brother I did not know what that person meant I was thinking there's smoking pot or something and i'm like man i would love to smoke whatever they're smoking at this moment because uh, i do not feel what they're feeling but uh, indeed later you begin to realize you know that's that's normal to go through spiritual warfare but the intensity of it at the beginning made me feel today that wow this is a god thing who allowed me to go through these trials for preparation for something big for the sake of my people so so that that's how it unfolded at the beginning and of course when I appeared in media and shared my testimony, my family now saw this, and I brought shame to them, as you know, and that caused separation and threats and all kind of things. But, you know, praise God today, I can say that the relationship is being restored slowly and gradually. Not that they're believers yet, I'll pray for them, but at least um, it was a loss at all levels, and it was definitely uh, the intensity of it was so, so steep. Can I just clarify one thing? The, 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 your marriage... Um did actually also split because of the, your decision to follow Jesus. Was that what you were saying too? That was the, the case. Uh, that was, that's the excuse that was used. Um, you know, I don't want to get into a lot of details. Yeah, uh, so they were, let's say there are two biblical reasons that allow for uh, that and uh, both I qualified for them. Uh, but nevertheless, um, again, uh, I, I really questioned why did God would allow things like this to happen yep. to me. But a bit later you begin to see Sure. That God, God always uh, have a, a beautiful plan for us. It's just we have to be patient. Uh, today I am remarried uh, to another uh, believer from a Muslim background. We have more children. Uh, all of my children know the Lord, and uh, you know we praise God uh, for all of that. You, you talked a couple of times about a, a, a bigger plan, um, and that is part of the work that you are doing now. Would you share with us what that work is? Yes. Uh, uh, when I accepted Christ, uh, I started with what I call a weekend ministry. I mean, that's uh, the way I like to tease it. It was a weekend invitation to Sunday schools, uh, share about your testimony, share about Islam. 
And then it became a little bit more involved. Uh, people will ask me or churches to come to uh, the middle of the week and teach them about how to reach Muslims for Christ. But then I began to realize, because people will ask, okay, so what are the objections a Muslim going to raise? And I knew the objections, but I didn't know how to equip them to respond to it from a biblical standpoint. That forced me to get discipleship at one, uh, uh, you know, one-to-one uh, level. And that led me really to realize the depth of the Word of God and how rich it is uh, at, uh, to answer uh, any of these objections. And then I ended up going to seminary, and that's where I got my Master's of Divinity uh, as a result of this. But uh, throughout this journey, I ended up meeting my wife. Uh, uh, like I said, she's a former Muslim, a believer in Christ. And then I appeared on satellite programming for the first time in 2007 and saw the impact of media because a Saudi woman accepted Christ at that time after watching the testimony. And later she was found by her brother and the father that she's a believer and she was killed. And uh, that really sent a shockwave into my soul telling me media is a great way to reach people even in your homeland, but you also can use it to equip people and to share the truth as well and we have to share the truth because lives are on the line and that was the beginning of my media ministry at the seminary level i've been teaching uh, i've been learning already greek and hebrew and god has a plan also for me to get involved in bible translations in fact i'm still involved in bible translations today praise god for that and uh, the third part of my ministry so we have the media we have the translations of scripture but the third part is teaching and equipping and discipling. I teach at, in general, the church, the believers. I equip those who want to reach out to Muslims. And then I disciple those who are former Muslims who came to Christ. We do it in a variety of ways, in person, webinars, online, you name it. Just incredible. Just wonderful what uh, what is occurring. Could I ask right now to you, as somebody who's perhaps been listening to this story, and maybe they are from a, a Muslim faith, maybe they're from a different faith, uh, maybe they're uh, someone who is a bit agnostic uh, or even atheist as, uh, as they, they may be as they're listening. So someone who isn't from a Christian background, um, but has been listening to your story and said, wow, I'll just there's something about it. There's something about his story. What are the first sort of steps that you would encourage them if they want to explore something a bit more? What would what would be the things that you'd be saying to them? That's wonderful. I mean, of course, the, my testimony, the fuller, uh, deeper uh, version of it is, could be found in my own ministry, Sira International. That's C as in Charlie, I-R-A International, our YouTube channel, our website. People can read it and probably the grasp a few things right there. But I would say, really, if you are truly a seeker or someone who wants at least to understand my position, why did I leave Islam, uh, you kind of have to wrestle now with supporting your arguments. Meaning, if you are denying the Bible, then you're going to have to find a reason why you would deny the Bible, study the Bible, look at the Bible, read the Bible, listen to what it says, and then find a way to try to refute it if, if that thing is, does even exist. Uh, ask people, ask uh, genuinely ask people, whether former Muslims like myself or a Christian, to try to answer some of your questions. Why Jesus, for instance? Why not read the gospel and see for yourself why Jesus? Why is he? Uh, important. So so these are the things I wrestled with at the beginning. And on top of this, I can tell you from my, uh, you know, long journey with Christ is that 
even the Quran, believe it or not, Clayton, supports the fact that Jesus is unique in a variety of levels, something that is not even ascribed to any prophet in the Quran, including the prophet of Islam. So ask yourself this question as a seeker. Why? What is so special about Christ? And at the same time, why the cross? Why do I need that? I mean, the beauty about the cross is that the righteousness that Muslims always strive to do or earn is offered to us on the cross because Jesus, the scripture says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we become the righteousness of, of God. So th these are the fundamental questions that we need to ask. Where would I go after I die? That was one of the things that I asked myself. Where would I go after I die? Am I really certain I'm going to go to heaven as a Muslim? Then why did Jesus die on the cross? Why is it that all of these people, after all of these debates with them or arguments, were not convinced that Islam is the truth? Rather, they were convinced that Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So, so that's how I would say we need to reason. We need to really, my, my podcast is called Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with Al-Fadi, and I called it Let Us Reason for a reason, because we need to reason with evidence, with facts, with scripture, before we just use a broad brush and say the Bible is corrupt, Christians are, uh, uh, you know, not true believers, and that they're all not accepted by God, and the list can go on and on and on. Um, it's wonderful to have had a chance to spend just this time with you, uh, and we thank you so much for the impact and the time. Now, I'm going to give out also, on top of all of the resources that Al has just given you as well, and we will uh, link to that when we put up this up online uh, during this week as well, all, all of those links too. But if there is somebody you just need to talk to right this moment, well, our care line is available as well. That's 95832273. Or 9583CARE, uh, if you use the letter pad on your phone, 9583CARE. And they can help answer some of those questions, or, or perhaps more importantly, as uh, Elle has been saying, at least guide you into the place to start asking those questions yourself and uh, start working through the reasons and the understanding of what it is. Elle, we thank you so much for your time. We wish you all the best with uh, not only the teaching that you are doing, but through SIRA uh, International as well. We thank you so much for giving so much of your time to share your story with us this evening. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, thank you to all of your listeners. And they can also reach out to me through the website or uh, the, the channel itself if they choose to. And once again, that website is, L. Uh, the website is sirainternational.com. Again, Sira is with a C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A international.com or through YouTube, which is also the channel Sira International. Excellent. Sira International, that's the place and you can reach Al and have conversations with him as we go through as well. Thanks once again, Al. Al Fadi, my guest here on 89.9 The Light.